In this episode, I'm joined by Frida Beckman, who is a professor of comparative literature in the Department of Culture and Aesthetics at Stockholm University. In this episode, we discuss her biography of Gilles Deleuze. I'd like to say a big thank you to all my paid patrons and supporters for making all of this possible. And if you'd like to support Hermetic's podcast or become part of the community, please find links in the description below. Enjoy. So, Frida Beckman, thanks very much for joining us on Hermetic's podcast. We are going to be discussing your um, biography, which you wrote about Gilles Deleuze, which, uh, when whereabouts was this published? It was published in 2017. 2017. Um, okay, better check. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we jump into sort of the life of Deleuze, which is not really going to be as straightforward as other biographies, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is um, what it is you do and, and why you decided to write this, uh, this biography. Right. Uh, the first question is easy. The other one is a bit more complicated. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'm a professor of literature at the Department of Culture and Aesthetics at Stockholm University in Sweden. I've been writing a fair amount on Deleuze through the years in relation to, to literature and film, but also centrally in relation to various conceptual problems and concepts such as temporality and history, sexuality and control. And I've published uh, quite a bit, especially on uh, the topics of sexuality and control in recent years. But then, so I wrote this this biography uh, a few years ago, um, and it was um, quite a difficult decision to to make. I was invited to write the biography, and my first impulse was kind of like, "Hell no, <laughs> that's a crazy idea." I would never have thought of it myself, for sure. But there was also something quite thought provoking about the idea. Um, Precisely because it was kind of bizarre, and this is how why I kept thinking about it. I couldn't really give up on the idea either that it would be quite interesting. It's an interesting challenge how to write a biography about someone who you're pretty sure wouldn't want you to write a biography about them, and it's sort of I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But it sort of go really goes against so much of his writing and thinking. Um, so, and, but then there is also the problem that everyone who's been working on Deleuze are quite aware of the way in which we want to use his work, but also he wants us not to be too faithful to his thinking because that will inhibit our own thinking. So there is that uh, sense, uh, I don't know, Kaufman talks about um, betraying well, and I guess maybe that's what I wanted to try to do with the biography in some way. Okay. Okay. Um, before we jump into the, the sort of biography proper, I will um, I have to ask you the hermetics question. Um, you can place three thinkers, living or dead, into a room and listen in on the conversation. Uh, who do you pick? And of course, we can uh, include Deleuze and add three more as we are, we're talking about him today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is such an intriguing and difficult... It's the most difficult question of all, I think. I mean, there are so many... There are so many options and wonderful combinations of people that you know you can spend your whole days thinking about this but right so having to pick a few I think and especially in the light of questions that I've been interested in I think in addition to Deleuze I would like to include um, Hannah Arendt and Walter Benjamin and James Baldwin um, I, and uh, what I would like to hear them talk about is um 
themes and questions such as identity and agency and resistance, history, change. I think they all have, they all lived in very exciting and difficult times in different ways. And they all have very interesting things to say about how to somehow um, work to change, work towards change while also not becoming too caught up in your own history and identity. And I find that really intriguing. So there'd be something quite practical about that meeting for you? Yes, absolutely. And I think especially the inclusion of Baldwin here as a, not only a thinker and writer, but also as a, as a, as an activist and the, uh, in the civil rights movements and the 50s and 60s, and the way he combined his very strong belief in the importance of writing. He said something like, uh, if you, you write in order to change the world, and if you can alter even in a little bit the way people look at reality, then you can change it. So he had this um, conception of, of writing and reality that is uh, that is very interesting, but also, of course, in combination with very strong and active uh, engagement politically in in current well, what was for him contemporary uh, political problems and I think maybe that would also be so interesting to see how Arendt and Deleuze and Benjamin would kind of respond to that and also the, the questions of identity how strong your how to to engage a particular kind of identity that has become sort of determined for you and to engage that in a way that is politically uh, efficient without getting too caught in that same identity. I think that is also, of course, a question that would be very important today. So is that for you one of the, the sort of primary importances for Deleuze is the um, towards a philosophy which gets away from sticking to some form of sort of, um, to use his language, striated identity? Yeah, and I think this is the challenge uh, as well, trying to think uh, politically with Deleuze somehow how to, because he wasn't uh, too uh, too interested in the kind of majoritarian politics, as he would call it, with parties and identities and all that. But at the same time, um, he was, of course, engaged in various types of particular questions uh, at the time and also in how... Uh, the, the quite political question itself in how to think about and get away from identities and formations that have been determined for you. Mm -hmm. Does Deleuze, I mean, I've read a fair amount of his biography, but it's still extremely difficult to, I've read the, the two sort of um, English biographies, of course, yourself and, um, uh, what's his surname? Uh, Dos. Yeah, uh, Dos, yes. And um, his politics, Deleuze's politics are still quite difficult to pin down do you could do you, do you think we could ever sort of say Deleuze was this or that in terms of politics or was is there something else there going on well it's going to be hard um <laughs> and rightly so to uh, to sort of pin it down but at the same time I think it's precisely um the idea that getting away from dominant formations of life and desire. Um, I mean, that's kind of the groundwork for, for everything else. Uh, so, so for me, that is extremely political um, 
But then, of course, he also did. He was engaged in in in, in key questions, uh, important questions at the time as well, right, with the Israel-Palestine conflict and protesting the Vietnam War and violations of human rights in Iran. And, of course, he was working with Foucault on this um, uh, prison project. So he was also doing more concrete and political work that can be identified as such. So it wasn't as if he didn't care. Okay, okay. But it's just a, uh, a different type of caring, which doesn't sort of get caught up in its own um, legitimization. Right. And I mean, I would love to be able to ask him about this, because it would be interesting to, to learn to what extent his decision not to be as politically involved and say, joining the Communist Party or whatever, as other people did at the time, if that was um, a choice that reflected his political views, or rather, uh, a choice that reflected his philosophical uh, convictions of how how to work towards political change, but I'm I'm not sure. Do you do you think if if um, we were to meet him, he would actually be open to questions about his biography, or do you think he'd be quite scathing, like he was in um, the the Abbot of Care with um, Claire as Claire mm. Parnay? Mm. Well, I mean, I think he would be. Uh, I don't know. He's. He's kind of a little mischievous, I think, on purpose there as well. It's not like it would be the end of the world to answer a few questions about your past, but I think it's also quite an important um, gesture to to continuously uh, sort of move away from that sort of, it's not an obsession perhaps, but it is a preoccupation we tend to fall back on. I mean, this is what is done all the time when people think about why someone behaves in a certain way or thinks in a certain way, it's so easy to start looking for answers in their biography. And this is obviously something Deleuze wouldn't have been very keen on having uh, attached to himself. Which which does bring me to the, the sort of the first question I've got written down here, which you do make clear um, very quickly in your biography, is that Deleuze wasn't, um, he had had like a non-stance with regard with respect to biographies um, in his philosophy and personally, it seems he just wasn't interested in them. He's interested in um, the philosophy itself. So in what way did you sort of find a way to, to, you know, juxtapose both writing a biography, but also writing about a biography about someone who just had no interest in that form? Mm. Yeah. As I, as I mentioned a bit already, I was so intrigued by that challenge and, I think maybe it's also, it could be, um, I mean, we get caught in this thing about being Deleuzean and being faithful and not being Deleuzean, et cetera. But I think in a, in a way it is a quite, perhaps a, a sort of Deleuzean thing to do also to, to work with that uh, format precisely because he rejected it. I mean, to me, that seems like to try to see, so how can we think about biography and Deleuze um, sort of, despite the fact that this seems a contradictory um, project. So so I think that, and also because we are curious, right? It's not so much about explaining his philosophy based on his childhood or being particularly interested in at what age he got his degree or, or things like that, but more a question of really trying to 
find those connections. I mean, he talks a lot about friendships and connections and thinking within different ways, thinking with other philosophers and different kinds of arts. And surely that that's, it, it's very interesting to try to map some of those connections. And in that sense, once we start talking about it like that, perhaps it isn't so Andalusian after all. Uh, so sort of a um, pushing the limits of a contradiction was this was the the act of writing this yeah that sounds that sounds cool (laughs) and i I think also because i had quite a few exchanges with the publisher about this and with colleagues and friends who had also you know sort of discussions of how how it could be done because of course the publisher wanted a, a biography i mean they wanted a more straightforward biography so it was also a continuous kind of struggle to to find a, a space where we could both be happy and okay so again it was like pushing against this um this sort of seeming dead end to but to see what could uh, what could come out of it um so it's it's productive it's it's much more fun really than doing something that you know is obviously the right thing to do definitely so do you do you think for Deleuze then in um, with respect to his philosophy that falling back, as you've said, onto, you know, when, we, when we're struggling to explain something, we will grasp at something in their philosophy and say, well, uh, you know, they had, the, you know, they were brought up in a strict religious household. So that's where this stems from. Do you think that Deleuze strips this away because he sees that as a sort of uh, neuroticism, which will like over, over, overshadow the actual philosophy itself and not let that breathe, you know, without these sort of human attachments in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It is a a sort of neuroticism of modern life in a way, isn't it? Especially after um, psychoanalysis that uh, we are so, um, so quick to narrow our explanatory modes down to something that is linked to the person or the family or those already those sort of structures that are so important to society. Um, and I think that uh, Deleuze would say that a, a strict biography would actually tell us quite little about life. It would tell us much more about the neuroticism of modern life, of, of proper names, as he and Guattari put, put it. Um, and why, when you can write yourself out of neurosis, why write yourself back into it? So, and I think he and Guthrie say in Antidipus something like that a schizophrenic out for a walk is a better model than the neurotic line on an analysis couch. And I think this is kind of a a good answer to that question as well as to the looking out and, and being open to life rather than determining life as something that is that you close in on yourself and indoors, in the body, in the individual, and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've sort of, um, by doing this interview, put ourselves into a bit of a bind. But um, because I'm, I'm looking through the questions now, and I realise I've actually written very few about the specifics of his biography. But um, in thinking about it, his actual biography, I guess, would be the easiest way to explain it, mirrors that of one of his big influences, Immanuel Kant, in that... He stays in, it seems, from the outside looking in, to be extremely uh, uneventful. Stays in the same quarter in, in um, France, for, for, 
for basically his entire life. I think he travels to America once. But mm-hmm. outside of this, in terms of big events, very little, very little happens. Do you, do you, is there a reason for Deleuze's sort of um, love of this this way of living? Well, I think this is a a, a bit of a tricky question because I mean I don't want to get into his his love of a particular kind of life, uh, but I think it's it's a thought provoking situation, right? That uh, that Deleuze of all the, the people of his time is the one who really sort of stays put. He doesn't travel much. He doesn't experiment that much with his life in, in different ways like people were doing at the time. And still he had this really strong belief in experimentation and movement. And then, so so maybe that's another mind, as you say, it, or, or a challenge, so a bit like the biography in the sense that how to, how to think. I mean, he does he doesn't just pose that question with words. He poses that question with his whole, whole body, in a sense, like how to remain still and uh, also in movement, and that those two don't have to be contradictory in various ways. Uh, quite on the contrary, it's not like we have to mirror. Um, we get caught up in trying to mirror our own thinking in, in different ways, but to rather stay with that contradiction and see what emerges is a kind of sort of imminent experimentation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of odd because once you sort of begin to think of biography in this way, then the stages where we can begin to sort of outline someone's life, you know, childhood, teenage years, um, you know, maturing, etc. These sort of all fall away. And do you, does, does, do you think the removal of this in terms of Deleuze's love of sort of becoming and potential, he just sees everything, you know, this is once again in line with his idea, uh, his philosophy that there's no such thing as the negative, that everything is this positive sort of intensity. I, I just wondered what you'd make of that. And as soon as you're looking at biography this way, then things such as childhood are sort of removed. Well, it depends, uh, I suppose. And what I try to do in the biography, and, and again, trying to follow the, the uh, publisher's um, suggestions and strong recommendations for a, a sort of... I mean, I try to to negotiate getting away from that chronology uh, but they wouldn't have it, and I can understand that in a way. But what I tried to do was to to think of these as sort of different blocks that do focus then on some sort of chronological order in terms of his early years, his childhood, and then his years as a student and young man and so on. But then I guess I, I'm hoping that what I what I did is to was to broaden that to sort of let it move sideways in various ways to to connect what you know his his youth with what was happening in the world and the people he met and and so then you do get away at least to some extent from that very close attention to childhood as a as an individual personal experience and more as a part of life and its various connections at that particular time that was my ambition at least okay okay so this all sort of you know it's sort of falling into place in terms of why you wrote it how you did why Deleuze was um against not against but but should we say critical of this biographical biographical sort of neuroticism um but do you you know to move towards his biography do you think there there was 
some events in his early life which actually did lead him towards his um, distrust of, you know, neuroticism and, and sort of boxing oneself in? Well, yeah, it's a sort of trick question now, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, how to talk about those um, boundaries and how they might uh, connect to him? Um, I don't want to. I don't really want to speculate about his sort of personal development and experience at the time. I know there. I mean, people interested in that can read a bit more about. I mean, Dos goes into that in a bit more detail, and it's really very interesting. Um, but I think he, I think he also wanted to his way of growing up and the various things again that were happening in his own life, uh, in in the world, the people he met, that kind of the idea of an upbringing as something that doesn't just happen uh, in the family, but also with various encounters and, and the spirit of the time and all that, then we can see, of course, that, I mean, or speculate, uh, I suppose, uh, that his um, his thoughts somehow was um, influenced by, by the times in which he grew up. I mean, they, it must be, to, to some extent, even if we can't draw those direct connections. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um so one thing that um, I believe you, you, you do comment on, which isn't always commented on, I mean, Christian Kerslake is probably the the most well-known sort of um, person who's taking this stuff up. But early on in Deleuze's life, he th these are the early things which he, are before where he said, you know, you can publish this stuff uh, from empiricism and subjectivity onwards. There is still some existing papers from before then and he was sort of um interested in mystical stuff and do, do you why do you think it was that he moved away from this and why you know why do you think it was that he said you know i don't want this stuff to be to be published do you think it was just because he wasn't very happy with it or do you think there might be a another reason with respect to how he understood his philosophy well, it's it's hard to know for sure, of course, but um, but I think to some extent we can see this as, uh, I mean, the way he works with with a bunch of different things. I mean, he takes on board. I mean, he's really open, especially in his, well, not just in his youth, it's throughout to different kinds of thinking and different modes of being, and that he, I mean, he was quite eclectic, right, and that he's. He's taking things on board. They're kind of brewing in him and doing different things. And then some of them end up being quite sort of concretely articulated in his writing and some some are not. So, so to some extent, I think we can see this just as one of the many influences um, that he had. And that it's interesting to, to note this as well. But I guess, I mean, if I had to guess, I think he might have, chosen not to uh, to include to, to publish and and also to move away from the the occult in, in the way he does is that he's he's got the skepticism right towards more systematic framings of thought and life and that's on, on a more general basis and not that the occult has to be that but maybe he was a little concerned that we, if if those the, that writing or, the, or that interest would become more explicit in his writing, that that would delimit his conceptions, such as 
you know, his conceptions of eminence and desire and so on, that those would be uh, on behalf of later readers, that the, the, because if we would maybe look at them too narrowly, because if we looked at them only in relation to the occult, which we might, because that is such a compelling and intriguing um, framework. So I think it's actually maybe done did a good thing in that there are still people like Kurt like and Joshua Ramey who have uh, who have written about this, and it's really interesting, right, to see them uh, unearth some of these um, connections and see what what they then do to our understanding of of these conceptions, like immanence and so on. Uh, but I also think it's it's quite a, quite a good thing that that we haven't got that framework from which we have to. Uh, or are sort of more overtly encouraged to read them. That would be my, my well, a suggestion. Okay, so that that is sort of would his removal away from that is is another way of like he never at no point does he want to be uh, pushed in as an occult thinker or even really a you know a certain philosophical thinker. He's uh he's just you know it leads to the next question actually that um, if it was always in relation to occultism or as Joshua Ramey, you know, as hermeticism or mister mysticism or some uh, Kantianism, etc. Um, Deleuze states that philosophers create, they don't reflect. And in, if it was always in communication, so we say, with a certain ism, then it's sort of always going to be a reflection. But this is something in Deleuze, much like um, the, 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 the step out of biography is would be a reflection. If you're reflecting back upon something, then it's always going to be mirrored off that thing. Whereas Deleuze is, is one of, I think, one of the reasons people really love Deleuze and are constantly drawn back to his work is that it is so full of potential and so full of positivity in a way um, that he is just constantly creating. And um, do you, what do you think that the... the the, you know, is something here lost for Deleuze when people are just reflecting in that sort of academic fashion where they feel the need to always bounce their ideas off someone else or off something else? Right, yeah. These are, this is a really neat way of tying these these issues up. Uh, and um, on, on the one hand, I think, like anyone, we can't, we can't get away from reflection altogether. I mean, or very much at all, perhaps. Um, actually, I mean, it's it's what we do. I think we fool ourselves to to think otherwise. But but I think what Deleuze would would suggest is that the challenge is to keep striving to move beyond reflection. And I think we can see this in his movement. And as you kind of suggestion suggesting his. I mean, he's writing, he's reading and writing books about different philosophers, and he's sort of moving in and out of, like, not getting caught up in uh, in reflecting on someone's work or becoming too caught up in in that particular uh, person's writing. He there's a really uh, sweet letter that he wrote uh, to uh, a student who who addressed him uh, quite late in life, uh, who wanted to write a dissertation, a PhD dissertation, I think, on on him. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of dis discouraging the student from doing this, saying, please don't let my my thinking delimit your own. And I think this really, um, really puts his finger on, on, on what he, how he wanted to think and how he wanted us to think. I mean, and it's easier said than done. But as you say, I think he's, 
his way of keeping his own writing open and not uh, delimiting it in terms of particular frameworks. Uh, trying to to move with creation rather than reflection was a one way of yeah being on the move and on the lookout, always being uh, always actively engaging rather than just uh, applying or, or reflecting on on other people's thought. In relation to that, then, what do you make of his earlier texts on Hume and Spinoza and Nietzsche? Do you see these as reflections, or do you think there's there's something far bigger going on there with them? Well, I think many people have have noted how it's how they're they're doing more than just reflecting. They're not books on these thinkers only, but there are books trying to think with them in in the biography i call it sort of his uh, apprenticeship in a way that he's um and and i think it, it is quite a beautiful idea not to just sort of excavate like what does this philosopher mean in this particular paragraph or, or something like that but to actually uh do your own philosophy by thinking uh with someone else's already existing thinking so it becomes um and you can see this of course not there there isn't that much work out there on this but i mean Deleuze's Spinoza it's not quite the same as Spinoza Spinoza right or Deleuze's Foucault is not the same as Foucault Deleuze's Hume is not the same as him. and you can also see it of course if you look at his over as a whole and later on how these various thinkers sort of recur how the different concepts take shape via their like the encounter between different philosophers and so yeah this would definitely be um a way i mean it might look contradictory when you first encounter it to say how I mean, well he's written books on other philosophers so how is that <laughs> thinking by, by by yourself but but i think it really is i mean it's uh, uh, it's opening the world, sort of different facets of thinking with the help of others. You can't do it on your own. I mean, then, you, you, then you're caught up in your own um, subject position, and he wouldn't want that either, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, of others and his contemporaries, I haven't written this question down, but um, so I apologize for that. But uh, just to think uh, very quickly of, of other two other con- contemporaries who are his friends, so Michel Foucault and Michel Serre, I, you know, I would say that these two people both have quite um, almost eccentric personalities. That's a bit of a cheap word, but they have personalities which are very um, drawn out and very pronounced, um, as do many of the other uh, many of the other thinkers which which Deleuze sort of deals with in his time. Um, you know, Georges George Bataille, Nietzsche. These all have, all these figures have huge personalities, and Deleuze doesn't seem to have one and i was just gonna ask in all your research is it seems like a very simple question now but what do you think Deleuze was like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry but it's i think it's a question on, on everyone's minds i think when you read Foucault you get an impression but when you read Deleuze you you really don't i don't know don't you i mean i i get an impression i'm not sure to what extent it's it's the uh, it's correct, but um, but I think it's also sort of part of everything we've talked about, and that he's he's not um, pursuing a, a project, whether philosophical or political or whatever, that is 
very clearly I mean, it is looking back in, in some sense, we can see the kind of questions he worked on and whatever, but he's not, uh, he's not definable. He's not, as you say, he doesn't emerge as clearly as a, as a speaker, as a subject, perhaps, of his own writing. And I think he would be delighted <laughs> that, that, this is the, that this is a question that you're maybe not that you ask the question, but that this is the impression that we might have, that, that it, he is... He's not as clearly a personality as as the others. Um, then he seems to have been quite uninterested in establishing himself as a person of the time in that way. I mean, as as a personality, I suppose, and that in itself says something about his personality. I guess um, he seems also to have been both very mild in a way but also quite determined i mean you see this in in some of the letters that get the rewrite about their um about their joint writing that get was much more sort of uh, chaotic and emotional and engaged in various things and that he sometimes felt a little frustrated with Deleuze being so calm and systematic in a way so I guess this maybe says something as well about his, what he was like. Do you think there was something, there, 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 there's something in that sort of calmness and almost like silence, because Deleuze sort of um, infamously didn't like conferences. He didn't think that's where philosophy happened. Uh, philosophy mm. happened or this sort of um, almost philosophical solitude. Do you, why, why do you think that was of importance for Deleuze? What do you think, once again, that was because he didn't want to be drawn into, you know, allow the collective to sort of affect his his thinking? No, I don't think that uh, that this would have been, a, that that was a reason. I mean, he was very happy to have his thinking affected by, by others all the time. But I think, uh, judging uh, from what he... He said about conferences and traveling and all that. I think what he was deeply uninterested in was the kind of uh, the risk of it becoming superficial and repetitive in in, in the wrong sort of way, where you uh, where you might not really. I mean, you you spend a lot of time talking at each other or or maybe just addressing things that that are interesting but not in very interesting ways i mean i i, I think i'm sure we can all recognize this in, to some extent uh, in our experiences of conferences not that i would totally agree a, a lot of amazing thinking and encounters happen there but i think for him and and i can sympathize with this as well the way maybe in which you you have a different speed perhaps or, or rather slowness in your in your thinking, if you're if you allow yourself to to slow down and and really think with in in the the ways he did by by reading and by by writing letters to friends and that kind of more um, yeah a slower way of thinking that that is quite difficult in those immediate and sometimes quite stressful encounters with others. Um, at conferences and, and academic events. Okay, so in terms of these sort of uh, these events and these conferences, which many people would see as the practical 
way of getting ideas across to to people and begin beginning to think of philosophy in more practical terms how do you think we can think of Deleuze's philosophy in practical terms what do you think what do you think Deleuzean philosophical practice looks like well, we can see this uh, quite clearly, right? And and that a key uh, key dimension of it, uh, and what makes it practical, is that it needs to be something more than an individual just thinking for for him or herself. That it's um, again, it's not it's not a, um, a subject about a, a subject position, and it's not about reflecting on on a particular problem, but it's about um, Seeing what happens when you, uh, in, in encounters with other thinkers or with uh, literature or film or music, those, um, as if the, the, you need those problems that are practical problems to to think. You rather than start with the thinking, uh, more maybe um, um, I don't know. It's a, a continuous engagement with what might provoke thinking and what might provoke thinking in different kinds of ways that that also make it practical. Mm-hmm. And do you think that would be the same for Deleuzean politics, is that it needs to be this um, sort of constant communication with events and things that are going on? It can't be this, uh, you know, ism. Right, yeah, and we, and we see this quite clearly, as as I mentioned earlier as well, in that he he was reluctant to commit to more sort of majority in politics generally, but he was uh, quite happy to engage in particular courses at particular times. So uh, again, it's not about committing to or becoming a certain identity with a certain uh, overarching explanatory framework, but more uh, actually. Uh, recognizing or committing to certain um, political wrongs or or what you see as wrongs and and doing something with it uh, at that time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um just m- moving back to one thing is like Deleuze's philosophy is is I think popular as well for the reasons that it's extremely um it seems very fast-paced it's very accelerative schizophrenic fragmentary um you know people people talk about their experience of going into capitalism schizophrenia though i don't want to make the mistake of subsuming Deleuze and Guattari just into Deleuze which is very common Mm -hmm. Um, but Deleuze's philosophy is much the same as well and yet he is this as you've stated quite calm and slow-paced thinker and do you think actually there's a connection between these two modes as to how one comes from the other Mm, yeah, and yeah, we talked about it uh, already a bit, and that it's not—it's uh, a mistake to connect the the life and the work in that uh, in that direct uh, fashion. It's not about resemblances. I mean, it's a it's a common discussion and problem that people are, are want to see. Um, how authors what what they do and what they write, how that corresponds to their their own lives and that somehow it's not true if it doesn't correspond to their own life but for Deleuze this is about the the impersonal in a way I think it's about well, 
we are expressions of life at all times in various ways and for, in various formations and our bodies are part of it being co-created with life it's not about um, pursuing some sort of ideal or constructing some sort of identity if we do then it's just a, a sort of copying exercise isn't it as if Deleuze somehow had to be I don't know, uh, totally schizophrenic and, and mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, wild at all times, that that, that would be um, necessary for him to, to do this kind of thinking. It's precisely the other way around, right? It's not about copying or, uh, or being like, right? It's about, well, making a map, not a tracing, as Ian Gattari uh, famously put it. Is there anything you would like to add that you feel is important that we've we might have missed out? Oh, there's always more, isn't there? I think that perhaps one of the the things uh, that you asked, or that when we in our earlier communication that, that you haven't asked now, is the question of how he's why he was such a, a popular uh, teacher, and nice. I think this is quite um, quite interesting, and I think it ties in with the question of philosophical practice because apart from the fact that he's been described then as as a very um as a strong corporeal presence and that he presence and that he was uh very intense and inspiring uh he's also described as having unexpected answers for all sorts of things and making unexpected twists and turns and connections and that the students were kind of kept on their toes all the time. And I'm thinking that this perhaps can be related to, well, pretty much everything we've talked about, the way philosophy needs to be taken outside of the individual and also how it needs to be a a practice that when Deleuze was lecturing or, or having seminars, he wasn't just lecturing on something that he already knew and that he was going to convey to the students, but rather that it was a sort of an act of philosophy that happened between them in in the classroom in different ways. And so I think this is not only, uh, um, it's not only uh, nice to see how he was not just a fantastic uh, writer, but also a great teacher, but also to see it as, see them as connected in this way, that it's, it's an it's a good example of his practical philosophy. What do you just out of interest as well? What do you uh, as you said you had um, your personal research is into um, gender and and control. What do you make of um, De, like Deleuzean and post structuralist philosophy in relation to sort of contemporary gender gender politics? I mean, I know that's a big question, but I know they've been influenced by it. But I wonder if how you how you see that influence and whether or not you feel it's it's gone in sort of the right direction. You mean the research on Deleuze or, or the developments in society? Developments in society. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a huge question. I'm not sure I can give you a good answer okay. just like this. But, but, but maybe something that, is, that I've been thinking a lot about and that is uh, hard not to crack is the question of... Um, of identity politics, and maybe this can take us back to your the your first question about who I would want to see in this room and what kind of questions they would they would address. I'm thinking about identity politics and 
about that, how I wanted James Baldwin and Hannah Arendt and Deleuze and Benjamin to talk about how to engage, how to construct political agency in relation to identity and these things. And, I, and these are obviously um, very important questions today and how to, um, on the one hand, insist on uh, addressing questions of, of inequality and to do that, you of course need to to identify these identities that are being uh, constructed or uh, oppressed, or and all all these um, uh, historical and current um, political issues that are so important, precisely because they they concern gender and identity in those quite concrete terms. So, how to do that while at the same time uh, avoiding the 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 limitations of those identities as such it's it's a really difficult challenge and one of the reasons why i uh wanted to include Anna Arendt in in this group of people is because she has such an interesting conception of uh of forgiveness and the promise the the way somehow to negotiate not getting uh letting your past determine your future and also daring to uh, to open up towards a future that you don't know that much about and how to do that um, in relation to the say Black Lives Matter movement and all these really important uh, events that are taking place right now and, and that also have a lot of historical baggage and how to, to claim those identities in enabling ways while also not getting caught up in what would be the the oppressor's definition of you. And in that, I think uh, that uh, Deleuze could be of great help when we think about it. I think that's uh, a nice way to tie it, tie it all up. Frida Beckman, uh, thanks very much. Thank you for having me.